Knox Game Design. April 2023. Deconstructing Falling Blocks. Welcome everyone to Knox Game Design for April 2023. My name is Levi Smith. So this month I'm going to be talking about uh, destructing a falling blocks line clearing game. Uh, anyone who's had uh, the old Game Boy from the early 90s has probably played a Falling Blocks line clearing game. I'm going to try to avoid saying the T word just because I know that's like copyrighted or trademarked, something like that. So just calling it a Falling Blocks game. And yeah, I may turn this into like a series. Uh, I know I've kind of talked about many different game engines and frameworks and tools, but really haven't went into like actually how to create. Uh, different types of games or destructing games. So this is going to take a game that a lot of people know or a lot of people are familiar with and uh, show what goes into making that type of game. Um, so yeah, this is going to be a very simple implementation of a Falling Blocks game. I'm going to use examples or to use one example in um, Mono Game. I picked Mono Game because it's fairly easy to set up, fairly easy to get a game running in mono game um, so I'm going to be using examples in that game development framework environment uh, which uses the C-sharp programming language um, if you need any help setting up mono game I have a talk from I think it was a couple of years ago can't remember which month it was but just search uh, mono game on the Knox game design website uh, so yeah, requirements, you just need Visual Studio, uh, and you know, here it is right here, Knox Game Design, September 2020, uh, you can refer to that if you need any assistance setting up Mono Game. Um, you can use other game engines such as Game Maker, Allegro, SDL, that's something I wanted to do is like actually implement this in many different languages, I just don't have time to do, th do that. Um, you also need a gra simple graphics editor, we're only going to be using two sprites. Uh, so it really doesn't have to be complex. I did put some examples, GIMP Paint, Aspirite, I'm not sure if I spelled that correctly, or any sprite editor. So yeah, the first thing you'll need to do is to create two uh, sprite PNG images. I think I'd use 32 by 32, so one's just going to be a black empty square and one's going to be a white filled square so that's going to be our block that we're going to move around on the board and also the image for showing all the blocks on the board so the first thing you want to do is you just want to make sure you can display one of your sprites on the screen so i kind of went in here and uh for all the code that comes default when you create a mono game game in uh, visual studio I sort of highlighted what you need to add. So you, I always like doing a dictionary of uh, strings to textures that holds all the sprites uh, in th that you'll be using. And so I create in the load content, we're going to create a new dictionary object. And we're going to have two indexes, uh, block underscore empty and block underscore filled. So block empty is just going to be the empty block. The block field is going to be the block in the white square. And down here in draw, we're just going to do sprite batch begin, then sprite batch draw. We're just going to draw the empty block at 0, 0. We're going to make it 32 width by 32 height. And this color I is just 
this is cut white is just the tint so we're just going to make that white so it retains its original color and then we're going to call sprite batch in so we should get like this cornflower blue screen with a black square in the upper left hand corner so i do have visual studio open with this code already loaded so we're going to run this and we get our cornflower blue screen default screen with uh, the black uh, block in the upper left hand corner and i will just go ahead and mention so there's this content mg cb i think this used to be more difficult to set up but it's pretty easy now you just uh, go in and you add existing content items let's see yeah, you use that plus right there add a, or add an yeah existing item then you can go in there and select your block empty and your block filled right there yeah so that's the first step whenever you're making a game is just just get a window to open or if it's a web game just get something to display on the screen it's just getting something to display on the screen that's always step number one <laughs> before you do anything before you start like writing game logic coding game logic or anything like that uh, so the next step is setting up our board so we're going to use a m by n array so the typical old-fashioned falling block line clearing game uses 20 rows by 10 columns uh, it can be one of many data types uh, if you only wanted like have uh, just have whether it's a block or not and use booleans but it seems like a lot of times booleans are kind of hard hard to work with because you're having to type out true and false and all that i like doing ints and that's what i'm going to use in this example so an int can hold like a value for a color index so if you want to have different colored blocks on the screen you, that can be represented by the ints or you can actually have an array of objects so they can all be null and then as you add blocks to the board then you just put in references to each of the blocks so that works out pretty well like if you're doing unity and other things like that you can actually take the blocks from your current piece and just move the reference onto the board um, you should store the maximum number of rows and calls as a constant or a variable I'm, i won't be doing that which is bad <laughs> in this example, but I'm just trying to keep these examples uh, simple and easy to understand. Um, so the next thing you need to do is learn how to just figure out how to draw the board to the screen and resize or display if needed. So this is what it'll look like. So actually our black empty box actually has, I actually put it like a, a gray outline. So I actually see a grid. 20 rows, 10 columns. Uh, this shows where you have the array for the board and initialize. We're going to set our graphics to 320 by 640. That's uh, <clears throat> I believe 32, yeah, 32 times 10 for the width. Oops. 320. 20 times 32, 32 pixels uh, for the height, which is 640. Then we're going to do this graphic supply changes. Again, that's specific for mono game. Uh, and then we're just going to leap through all the rows and all the calls or initialize the board just to all zeros, meaning there's no blocks. And then our draw, we're going to loop through all the rows and calls again. And if the board, if the cell value is zero for that index, we're going to draw the empty block at that location. 
or if it's filled, <coughs> we're going to draw the, the filled white block at that location. So I kind of have this, yeah, I'll post all this code out to the code repository. <coughs> so I kind of have this broken up to, into different steps so you can load each step as this is being built. So this one will have like the new size and the rows. So if we run this, then you see the resized game board right there. So so it doesn't do anything, but it but it displays our game board. So so it's a start. It's like the first step after just making sure you can draw something to the screen is to draw the, the game board. So in our following block game, we're gonna have a piece that's going to contain four blocks, made up of four blocks. Um, and we want, we want to move that piece horizontally, left and right. So our piece, actually I changed this to a five by five array just because when we're going to rotate the piece, it's easier to do it on a five by five array, which has a defined center. Um, so we're going to need two ints for the row and column position of our block that we're going to move around, our piece. So I'm using block as a specific square and a piece as the combination of those four blocks that we're going to move around. Um, so yeah, we should probably load the piece data from a text file. I'll talk about the different pieces a little bit later on, but that's just going to be uh, coded as an array for now. But yeah, we're not even worrying about the different pieces right now. We're just working with one piece. We're going to start out like here, start with a simple shape. I'm going to start out with the T-shape. <clears throat> then we want to draw that piece to the screen. So here's the example. we got current piece as a 2D array, and there's our T structure right there. I'm going to mention that this is actually upside down because our rows are going to go from uh, vertically from 0 at the bottom to uh, 20 at the top or one at the bottom to 20 at the top you neither start it goes from 0 to 19 or 1 to 20 it's all up to how you decide to code it um, so yeah if you're going and obviously in most game development environments your screen coordinates go from 0 at the top 0 pixels at the top to the screen height <coughs> or window height at the bottom so it's going to be inverted so we're going to loop through all the the values in the current piece, and we're going to draw. Uh, if it has a block, which is represented by one right here, we're going to draw that block on the board on the screen at the row and column position for that block in the piece, plus the current row and column. Uh, of, of the position, the control position of the, of the block by the player. So you're going to be able to move this piece left and right. Uh, always be aware that uh, you always usually refer to these as row and then column, but when you're drawing, row is going to be the Y in the Y position, the Y coordinate, and call your column is going to be in the x coordinate. So it's kind of flipped because whenever you draw a rectangle, you always specify x first and then y. So you'll be drawing the column position first, then the row. So just be aware of that. 
So let's go back to our examples. So this is going to be following blocks four. <clears throat> Run this. So yeah, this has all the new changes for drawing the piece. So there it is. You can't do anything, can't move it around, but it's drawing the piece onto the screen. <coughs> and you can see it's the piece is defined here at the top, the current piece, that T-shape. Really, yeah. So later I'll do the inverse of it so it'll actually be flipped. Okay, so next step, we got our piece drawn to the screen. So next thing we want to do is actually move the piece around. We want to move it horizontally, left and right. So for this example, I'm just going to do keyboard control. I'm not going to be doing gamepad control or anything like that. Uh, when the user presses the left key, subtract one from the column. When they press the right key, then we're going to add one to the column. Um, starting out, don't worry about bounds checking. Just make sure you can move it left and right starting out. Um, and then we'll check about bounds later, which I mentioned here. So here's what it looks like. In mono game, we're going to get the keyboard state and then the array of keys. And for the key, if the key is left and the key wasn't down the previous frame and it is down now, then we're going to move it negative one column. So I created this method called can move piece. <clears throat> so it's just going to move our piece left and right. Check to see if we can move our piece left and right. So we're going to subtract one from the column uh, for the current piece. If they press left, they press right, then we're going to add one uh, to the column. Okay, so here's the next step in action right here. So we've got our T piece up here. So we press left, it moves left. <clears throat> press right, it moves right. So that's the next step. Just get it moving left and right. And as if you notice, if I go too far over to the left, then it's going to go outside. So we're not doing bounds checking at first. Just making sure we can move it left and right. Okay, so the next step is to make sure that we drop, we need to drop the piece after a countdown period. You might want to start out with one second. <clears throat> Later on, you'll want to have it variable based on how many lines that you clear. But starting out, just pick a value like a second. And after a second expires, then we're going to drop our piece down one row, our piece location down one row. Um, so I like using floats, two floats, one for the, the amount of time that needs to expire for it to drop down, like the, a constant maximum value, and then the current countdown value. So that, those are two separate floats. Then after the countdown expires, then I just add the max countdown back to the uh, current countdown value. And then for each update, we want to subtract off the delta time, the time that's passed since the previous update. We're going to subtract that from the current countdown value. So if the current countdown is less than or equal to zero, then we want to subtract one, one from the row, which is going to move our piece down. And like I said, add the max. Once we move it down one row, add the maximum time to the countdown. You could just set the current countdown back to the maximum, uh, however you want to handle that. Um, either add the count max countdown value to the current countdown or just set the current countdown to the maximum countdown. So following block six. 
So here it is in our update. We're going to have our drop countdown right there. So we're going to subtract off game time, elapsed time, total seconds. Um, then if drop countdown is less than or equal to zero, then we're going to drop it down on the row. And then we're going to add on max drop countdown to the current countdown. So I have those two floats up here at the top. Drop countdown, max countdown. And by the way, I did add the current piece row and the current piece column up here. So I set that to 20 and 3. So let's go ahead and run that. So yeah, there's our T-shape. So we can move it left and right. Still not doing any balance checking yet. But as you'll know, after this, notice after the it gets to the bottom, it just keeps dropping. <laughs> it doesn't actually check to see if it's reached the bottom. But yeah, here's our drop countdown and max drop count. So I have the max drop countdown to half a second. So every half a second is going to drop one row. So that's the next step. Just get it, getting it to drop. And I do have the example right here showing it dropping. Then it goes to the bottom of the, of the screen. And the draw is going to be the same. I don't think anything's changed in the draw. So the next step is adding the piece to the board. So like I said, problem is the piece falls through the bottom of the board. Uh, so there's two conditions when you want to add the piece to the board. Uh, any block in the current piece reaches row zero, or if you got the bottom defined as one, it reaches one. Or any block in the piece is above a block already on the board, and then it tries to move down again, then we want to add it to the board. Um, when, a, when we want to add the piece to the board, then we add all the blocks in the current piece to the board. We just loop through the 2D array and add those to the board. And then we reset the block position to the top of the board, uh, in the middle on the top of the board. Um, one thing to make sure, you only need to check to add it to the board when a piece moves down a row. You don't need to check on every update <laughs> uh, whether you need to add it to the board, only when it gets dropped. Um, unless you're doing some weird, like, real-time falling block game, but in general, you only want to check whenever it drops down a row. Um, yeah, make sure that, uh, the piece is actually, when you add it to the board, it should be within the board, but like we're not doing balance checking yet. So if you try to add a piece from the current array, and if it isn't within the array of the board, then it will generate an error. Yeah, so this is what it looks like our piece is going to drop down, drop down. So when it gets to the bottom, it's going to add it to the board then set the position back to the top of a current piece and then it's just going to keep stacking and we can move around um, here's our update um, so for every update we're going to so like we're doing we're dropping it on uh, when it reaches the countdown expire expiration period so here's where we're checking right here if current piece is one and the current piece row plus I is zero. If it reaches row zero, then we're going to add the piece to the board. So I got a method for adding it to the board. Or else, if the current piece um, in the block 
exist. And there's basically what this is saying, and there's a, a piece below it on the board. Then we're going to add the piece to the board. Yeah, so if it's if it's row zero, then we're going to add it to the board. Or if, yeah, current piece row, I must, must, must 20. Yeah, and this is where it's checking to see if the piece is above another piece already on the board. Then we're going to add it to the board. Now here's the add piece to the board. We're just going to leap through the array of the current piece. And if there's a block at that array location, then we're going to add it to the board at the current row plus the index in that current piece array, comma, the column plus the the column index in the row. We're going to set that to 1, then reset the piece location. Okay, let's look at the code, or let's look at the example for that. And following block 7. And go ahead and run this. So you can see our block is still falling. We can move it left and right. Still falling, so when it gets to the bottom, it gets added. Can't rotate or anything yet, but uh, and here's an example. So this is going to fall on top of the other block, and then it gets added. Then we're going to move the current block back up to the top. So yeah, we got stacking going on, so that's kind of the, the next step in this example. Okay. So the next thing we we'll want to do is to give the user the ability to rotate the piece. So we want to do a simple rotation. Uh, we're only going to let the user be able to rotate it uh, clockwise. So I went in, like I said earlier, expand the current piece rate to 5x5 five five so it rotates on column 2, row 2. And the formula for rotating at 90 degrees. Now, I think you can actually go and derive this from like the rotation matrix uh, for like 2D graphics and passing in 90 for the rotation, or maybe negative 90 for the rotation value. But it, it comes out to be, oops, it comes out to be your new row will be J as the column index, and your new column will be four or whatever the maximum in this case it'd be five or maybe it's five minus one is four so it's going to be one less than the maximum minus i which is the row so it's j comma four minus i so then we're going to have a temporary uh, array for the rotated piece so then we're going to copy that rotated piece back into the original piece array to rotate it um, some extra checks you'll need to make later. Make sure that the rotating piece does not make it end up outside the board, like with some of the long pieces, like the eyepiece is straight down. So if you rotate it, it could be possible that you would rotate it outside of the board. So you got to add a check for that. So if that happens, don't let them rotate the piece. Um, make sure the rotating piece does not make it uh, exist, end up inside of a block already on the board. So... These are like little tiny things you don't think about. You know, you're always like, hey, the, this is a falling block game. It's been around forever. And 
it's so easy. Yeah, this is this looks like such an easy game to implement, but there's so many of these little small checks. If you don't put in there, then it will end up wonky <laughs> and it won't feel right. No, it'll, it'll feel buggy. People will say your game is buggy, so you got to add all these extra little checks for things like rotating the block outside the board or rotating it and preventing the user from rotating into a piece that already exists on the board. And that goes the same for moving the piece. You don't want to be able to move the piece into a piece already on the board or block on the board uh, or move the piece outside the bounds. So someone new to game development is like, oh, yeah, it just looks simple. You just move it left and right. Add one to the columns to right one to the column or just rotate it. There's just so many extra little checks you got to do. Um, so, yeah, go ahead and run this. So still we only have one piece type, which is the T piece. Uh, if we click it there, then but if we press up, now we can rotate it. And it's rotating like this because it's at the center is defined to be location 2-2. Now later on there's some like additional like considerations you need to make because if you have like the O piece, like the block, the square block, um, it isn't going to rotate cleanly on a 5x5 five five array so you'd have to add some extra checks or dynamically figure out how to uh, get the uh, width or the number of rows and number of columns of the current piece so I did let this run a little bit just to show we got it rotating we're adding blocks to the board but we're still not clearing lines yet we're just still just stacking blocks whenever they collide with the existing block on the screen. And by the way, we're still not checking for game over either. So the next... Yeah, so this is basically just what I was showing, rotating the block. We got our current piece. So I expanded the current piece out to five by five, just so we rotate on the center. Added the check for when the key, the up key is pressed. We're going to check is the key down. If it wasn't before down, now it is down. Then we're going to rotate the piece. Uh, later on, I added in this can rotate piece. You don't need to worry about that that starting out, but later on you want to check. So I had a function or method here for checking if when they rotate the piece, whether it's going to end up outside. Uh, the board or below the bottom of the board and that turns out to either be true or false if it if it's uh, not a valid move that's going to turn false and then it won't rotate the piece so the next thing we want to check is to clear a line so after the block has been copied to the board we want to check all the rows on the board to see if a line has been cleared so the 1 through 10 in columns for a specific row. If they're all one, they're all filled with a block, then we want to clear that line, then move all the lines above it, all the blocks above it on the board down. Um, and you can get into some like interesting considerations with that. Like sometimes you can clear two lines or four lines at a time, or sometimes you can clear one line the next line you won't clear and then the line above it is cleared as well so sometimes you got to add some like certain considerations when you're uh 
when you're clearing like that. Uh, so yeah, if they all have a block, <laughs> then all the cells in a row on the board have a block. If it's true, then remove all the blocks in that row. So this is kind of like how I logically think through it. I don't think in code. I think in steps. It's like, yeah, when, when all the cells in a row are, are, uh, have a block, then remove all the blocks in that row, then move all the board blocks above it down one row. Um, you got to keep a separate row and column counter when you're going up uh, through this. And then if you're tracking score or line count or levels, then you want to add to that whatever values. Yeah, so here's the example right here. So we've got our T block coming down. So when it ends up right here, we're going to move all the blocks down one row. So this is when we add the piece to the board in that method right there, we're just going to add. After we've added it to the board, we're going to check the cleared rows. This check cleared rows. So we're going to go through all of the, the rows. And we're going to have a Boolean, true or false variable, row cleared. So we're going to go through all the column values, this J index, and if any of those are zero, we're going to assume that we're going to assume the row is cleared by default. But if any of the blocks for in that row, uh, if any of the blocks in that row, or if any of the cells does not contain a one, for meaning it contains a block, then we'll say the row is not cleared. So we're assuming. We're assuming it's cleared to begin with, but if any that if there's any gaps in that row, then we're going to say it isn't cleared. So when you're making a game like this, you got kind of got to change your way of thinking <laughs> for some of these. Uh, so then, if the row is cleared, we're going to go through and delete, set all the blocks in that row to zero. Then we'll have a separate counter for all the rows above. So we're just going to move for all the ones up to row 19. We're going to move those down. That's what this code right here is doing. So let's go back and look at the code or look at the example. And I'll just go ahead and say, like I said earlier, this isn't going to be like a flashy, pretty game. It's just going to be like black and white just to show the basics for implementing implementing this falling block line clearing game. So, so here it is right here. We're, st we're still just only working with the T. We're not worrying about any other pieces yet. So as this thing falls, gets copied to the board, and we're going to drop it another one. <coughs> put it right there. Then maybe put one right on top of it. No, I'll just go ahead and put it right there. Yeah, make this quick and simple. Yeah, maybe put one like here. Now, if I was playing a real fine block game, I would not play like this. <laughs> just for the example here. Oh, I might have messed up. Yeah. Let's see here. How can I set this one? Yeah, I can't put the other one in there, so I'll have to make another line. I messed up right there. Let's see here. Put this one here. Then put one in here. Then put one. 
Okay, so here's here's where we're going to make the line. And I, I will say this is how I make games. It's like I make a change. I see if it works. I make a change. See if it works. So we're going to drop that in there, and it cleared the line. So every time I add a new like piece of logic or functionality, I check and see if it works. <laughs> I don't like I may not test every single case, but I don't just like code it and then say, "Hey, it works." So there's another line clearing right there. It's a constant like cycle of making a change, implementing something, seeing if it works. I know some people have said, it's like, oh, yeah, do you, do you check and see if your game works as you're developing? Yeah, it's constantly checking your changes to see if they work. I mean, if you're good enough not to test as you write code, then well, good for you. <laughs> but uh, the way I develop is like always make a change, see if it works. Okay, so the next thing I think about, and you don't necessarily have to go in this order, but logically thinking this, I, I could have checked for game over before I checked for cleared line. So it's really up to you what you want to do next. But uh, in this example, the next thing I want to do is check for game over. This might be either easier thing to do. Like I say, game, checking for game over, easy. Uh, when a piece is copied to the board, check to see if the piece block would be copied above the maximum row. If it's above the top of the board, then game over. You've reached the top. Um, previously, this would cause a runtime error trying to copy a block into the board uh, at an index that doesn't exist. Unless you're using a programming language that lets you put blocks at any array, then you don't have to worry about it. In Monogame, it does complain. If you define the number of rows and columns in your board for that array and you try to put something in that array um, at a location that isn't defined then it will generate a runtime error and crash your game um, but in other languages you might be able to put put it at any location you want so what i do is i just stop game processing and display a message you usually have like a bool for game over so set the game over bool to true and then display to the user that uh, the game is over. Then you can let them retry or redirect back to a main menu or something like that. So yeah, it's pretty easy. When you add a piece to the board, if the current piece plus i is greater than 20. So, so basically we're, just, we're checking for every block in the current piece. If that current piece is, is, uh, exists, if it's a block, represented by number one, uh, if that current piece plus the row is greater than or equal to 20, then we're going to set that game over <coughs> Boolean to true. Uh, and in this case, I created a sprite font for something Monogame needs to define your font, uh, load your font and load content, and then we're just going to say, if is game over, then we're going to draw uh, game over to the screen. We set the font size to 32. So let's go back to our example. Following blocks 10. And by the way, I think I did define, yeah, a bool at the top, an instance variable is game over as the false. And then, I believe an update. 
Is it update? Could just check for is game over. Is game over to true. Draw. Oh, I guess at this time it, it still continues to add blocks. Or it just doesn't matter. Um, because every block is going to be called copied above that location so that's one thing you want to do if you put one big if around your main update so that uh, so if the game is over quit adding new blocks to the screen don't let the user continue that's when you want to or you could just automatically redirect to a game over screen and you don't even have to worry about it so yeah, here's the blocks getting copied, stacking up, stacking up, stacking up. So it's important not to check until the board block's actually been copied to the board, because obviously the block is above the top. So there it is. Uh, try to copy the next block is above the top row, so we're going to display game over. I don't think it'll, yeah, and actually, yeah, this is where it'll actually let you still continue playing. So yeah, that's where you want to check, and if the game's over, don't let the user control it anymore. Or redirect the user to a separate screen. Okay, so here's where it gets to the fun part. Randomizing pieces. So what I did is I created a list of uh, templates, or an array of templates. So I actually have a 3D array, uh, an array of 2D arrays of piece templates. So we're going to have like the I piece, the O piece, the S piece, the Z piece, the L piece, and J piece, and T piece, and the O piece. I'm already sent mine. We're going to have seven different pieces. So, so on start, when the game starts or after a piece is landed, then we're going to generate, generate a random number from zero to the size of the piece template array. So we're going to get a number one through six for the seven different pieces, or zero through six for the seven different pieces. Get a random number. Then we're going to copy the piece template at that index to the current piece array. So this is what it looks like. We're going to have this big, huge array of 2D's arrays for each of the pieces right here. Um, I'm just mentioning again, you go from zero at the bottom to one at the top. So when you define these arrays, the pieces will actually be flipped vertically it'll be mirrored vertically unless you set the top row as zero and go to the bottom row as number of rows but in this example i got the bottom row as zero or i think one then top row is 20. <clears throat> um it's entirely based on your preference so here's a code right here we're going to get a random r random uh, object called R. We'll set that to a new, create a new random instantiate a new random object. Then we're going to use R dot next mod seven. That's going to R dot next is going to generate a random <clears throat> integer. I think it's like one to thirty-two thousand or something. So we're going to mod seven to give us a number from zero to six. We're going to store that in IRAND. So variable called int variable called IRAND, and then we're going to set all of the values in the current piece to the piece template at the, at the IRAND location. And then we're going to copy that array over. So let's go back to our example. 
following blocks 11 and run this yeah so here we go got random so there's our L piece we can rotate it when it lands it's copied to the board so there's our S piece right there so if you develop this further you want to add the ability to drop these pieces and add like the ghosting and all that good stuff the drop location so right now it's kind of a slow game it also <coughs> doesn't have the uh, increased speed or anything as, it, as you play through so there's our eyepiece. I think the thing, one of the things I mentioned, so here's our O piece. So using that 5x5 five five array, you still get rotation with the O piece. But when you drop that, clears that row. And if you're keeping track of score, you would add to the score and, and the number of lines. And display that. And here's another piece. So later on, I, or I'm thinking one of the slides or one thing you want to do or if you're developing a, this further one of the problems is this gives you a random value zero to six every time so it is possible to get like one four two 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 three one so you can get the same piece multiple times and if you play some some really early implementations of the flying block line clearing game you see that but in Later implementations, you see like where they use like a bag, where you generate a list of random ints from zero to six, and then you pick from that list. Keep picking from that list until it's cleared. And actually, I did a talk a couple of years ago about randomizing, ran randomization. I go into how to actually do that. So if you're interested in developing something like this further, take a look at that randomization talk you can see how i did that but yeah that's basically it a, a working falling block line clearing game really no frills or anything so yeah here in the last slide i have have here is the improvements uh one thing is clear, clear clearing up the rotation like i said the o block doesn't the O block should not move around as it's rotating, but but since the O O block does not have a defined the defined center of the O block is in the center of all four of the blocks, and you can't specify that with an index. That'd be like a a two point five or something. Um, adding a line count and score, um, speed up the game as lines are completed, add better graphics, sound, different colors, things like that. Uh, like I mentioned, better randomization algorithms using a bag. Um, add a piece preview, let the user drop the piece. Oh, and that's one other thing. Whenever you're playing this, you have to press the left and right key down every single time. So another improvement would be to allow the player to move the hold down left or right or press left or right on the joystick or whatever and then automatically move it over. Uh, not make the user have to press the key multiple times. Uh, other things, add a title screen, game over screen. Even further, I, I did dabble a long time ago with doing some simple multiplayer just between two two systems. Uh, 
you could either even do online or add leaderboards. Uh, there are just many different ways you can take this. But and that's it for the slides. Uh, like I said, I'll post the code out there so people can take a look at it. And maybe if I have some time, I might see if I can. I've implemented this game in like JavaScript and a few different languages. But it would be good, nice to go back and do like Allegro and SDL and do it in Game Maker and Unity. I've done an implementation in Unity. Haven't done one in uh, Unreal Engine. But I kind of kind of consider the falling block line clearing game to be like the bare minimum. Like if you can do the falling block line clearing game, I consider you a game developer if you can do that. I mean, that that's kind of takes everything that you need to know to make a game. It kind of combines it into... Uh, test all those different skills that you need to know to be a game developer. So it's like if I was if I was hiring somebody to be like, which I'm not hiring anybody, um, but theoretically, if I if I was creating a team of game developers, I would say, hey, can you make the falling block line clearing game? Um, and yeah, so if you can do that, I would consider you like a competent <laughs> game developer. But anyway, that, that's my soapbox on that. I want to go back and mention on the Knox Game Design Org website, I did create this graphic for the upcoming Game Jam kickoff going to be this Friday, um, April 28th, 2023. That's really slow. Um, so yeah, we've been doing this Game Jam kickoff since like tw late 2013. Um, so we're just going to be announcing, announcing themes, talking about themes, uh, talking about ideas and brainstorming, right? Not actually going to be developing game unless somebody just said, if you want to come and show off something you've made, yeah, that's totally cool, but we're not going to actually, unless you just need some help or something, uh, we're not actually going to be making a game on site, um, because we're meeting at Panera Bread and I think they actually close at nine or eight. Uh, so we might actually be kicked out a little bit early. Still looking at options for other places to meet. Um, right now, it's still a pretty small group. So uh, you got to consider like how much you want to spend for a meeting location if you're only going to have a few people show up. But hopefully one day we'll grow, have a lot more people, and then we can uh, talk about bigger meeting venues but but yeah I just, i'm just keeping the rules very simple the goal is to create a game in 48 hours but use whatever time you need yeah just post in discord or i'll, I'll check some of the sites to to see what people are working on and uh once everybody's created their game i'll post it to the knox gamedesign.org all the ones that have been created uh you can make a game based on the theme or just ignore the theme and make whatever you want this is really small i should have Next time I make one of these flyers, which, by the way, I do have flyers. Yeah, so I did go out and created, created printed flyers. I have about 10 of these. If anybody wants one, uh, you're welcome to one while supplies last. Uh, but y'all probably start, I've, I've learned a, a few things while making these. Like, I should have made, like, the background for the text a little bit lighter. I shouldn't have used blue on blue because that's really hard to read, but... The idea was like, well, I could post these, like hand these out or post them 
like local educational institutions or things like that. But I think for now, just going to keep try to keep it small until we have a bigger meeting location. Uh, but yeah, I did learn some things while creating those things that I'd do differently next time. This is also on the noxgamedesign.org.website. website. Uh, extra challenge: don't use any pre-existing assets, uh, graphic sound effects, or music. You create everything during the jam. Uh, and here's the big one: you're, you're free to submit your game to any other game jam that may be going on at the same time. Uh, it's just based on new legal reasons that I've been reading into. We can't say we're associated with any other jams. Uh, but you are welcome. Please submit to any other game jams that you wish. Um, there won't be any voting, judging, or ranking, but uh, everybody's encouraged to play each other's games, and you're free to submit your game to any other game jams with voting, judging, or ranking. Uh, no prizes. Your game is your prize. Uh, use any game engine or library. I just put some examples. Gudeau's getting very popular. Unity Game Maker, Unreal Engine Mono Game or Allegro, and see Knox Game Design for further details. So you can go to Knox Game Design. That's really big, and you can get the the information right there. So yeah, hopefully have a lot of people come out. Some people come out and. Talk about making, really we just get together, it's kind of just like friends getting together, talking about old times and uh, game ideas and brainstorming and, and things like that. So it's really not, really not structured and everything. So uh, don't, don't show up feeling like you need to be an uh, expert game developer to show up. And oh, by the way... People can show up and not even make a game. If you just want to come out and talk or whatever, that, that's fine too. Don't feel like you have to make a game uh, to show up. So That's all there is to it. Yeah, we try to do this twice a year, two or three times. You know, usually twice a year. It's been been kind of hard the past couple of years getting, getting things. And, but we're trying to get people, trying to get back into the swing of things. Uh, and, and things like that. So, anyway, that's going to be it for April 2023. Uh, hope everybody's doing well, and we'll try to try to be back in a month.